So, hi, Mark. How are you? Doing good. Out here in hot, hot and humid Los Angeles today. I'm out here in cold, wet Ireland, so we're, <laughs> we're, we're, <laughs> we're at a distance. Um, yeah. uh, the the new uh, Field Flows box set is just out. It's, it's amazing, I must say. I'm loving the the outtakes, is what I'm kind of... Not outtakes, but the extra stuff is what I'm loving. I thought Big sure. Sur, Big Sur, just... Oh, man, what a great song that is. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's... It's a. It's never been surprising in retrospect how much how much great material uh, the band would uh, record and then just move on. Mm. Um, uh, but this period in particular, well, of course, we're covering several years, but there's just so much uh, stuff that either either never got released or, in some cases, you know, came out years later. Yeah. Um, but they they did this all throughout their career. I mean, all the way back to you know, 60, 63 even, um, you know, record, recorded stuff that easily could have fit on one of their albums. And, they, you know, they just moved on to something else. I, I, I guess um, everything was, you know, <laughs> whatever, whatever uh, they wanted to do immediately, um, you know, was more important. I mean, in particular, how, how Sam, I mean, I guess Sam Miguel might not have fit yeah. uh, thematically or, you know, but it, it's it's such a great track and and so much work went into it yeah. you know that it sat for another 20 years roughly um before getting released is, is pretty astonishing yeah i think dennis uh, dennis shines on the extra stuff i think he's such yeah, a great and a lot of, i mean so, yeah to some extent that that stuff not being released you know uh, had to do with you know politics and and inner band you know questions i mean he's such a big part of sunflower yeah, and then has no real role on uh, on Surf's Up, but but seems to have recorded you know about half of a solo record. Yeah, um, yeah. in the same period. Yeah, what a great uh, like I always kind of wondered if he had kind of kept going because he kind of where Brian kind of left off, he kind of was going on his own tangent to something new. I thought is his solo record's amazing. It's a great record. Yeah, it's interesting that you know as Brian. Uh, uh, seated you know uh control um how, how the others uh you know filled in the gaps if you will uh mm. i mean dennis dennis may have been the most creative um of them but but carl was the one who seemed most well dennis too but carl in particular most adept at uh picking up the producer reins and also uh just seemed much more comfortable with the change in the way records were made. I mean, you know, when Brian was, was at the forefront, it was still pretty much, you know, get everybody in the studio at the same time and cut a track uh, live and make all those, you know, those decisions. If you listen to his, I mean, the, the sessions either with the band or, or, or with the wrecking crew, it's just astonishing how he, you know, starts here and ends up way over here. Um, you know, while he's got 12, got 12, 14 guys in the studio, that's pretty, you know, pretty unheard of. I mean, I've, I've heard a fair amount of other, you know, uh, sessions from that period and yeah, they're little changes, but, you know, clearly the, the arrangements had been pretty well locked down before they started, um, uh, rolling tape in Brian's case, he seemed to thrive on the creativity of doing it on the fly. Um, and by the same token, it always seemed to me that making records the, the the newer way, which was to do it in pieces, or as I like to call it, sort of layer cake, 
yeah. uh, records where you do a certain amount of basic track and then you add stuff and um, then um, then ultimately you do the vocals. He seemed less comfortable um, with that. And on the other hand, Carl seemed much more comfortable with that, I think, because, well, I mean, it, it does allow you a lot more flexibility in terms of um, going back and changing something. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you can <laughs> you can take that right around the bend and um, uh, either never you know never make up your mind what you know what's what's right or what's the best um, uh, if you're not if you're not careful. And I've certainly seen that not with the Brown not with the Beach Boys, but you know I've seen that in my own in my own career. Um, you know that's 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 the danger. I mean, yeah. you know, now when we have uh, you know infinite <laughs> infinite tracks and you know <laughs> infinite re- re- recallability, um, the da- the danger is that you know you'll you you'll miss you'll miss the stopping point. Um, yeah. Um, but Carl just seemed seemed much more uh, comfortable with with that form of recording and. Um, I mean, it, it shows, you know, because he was the one who really, who really sort of over, oversaw these projects, hmm. um, even if they weren't um, necessarily his songs, his songs even more so. But I mean, he was the one who sort of kept it all, along with Steve Desper, you know, sort of kept it all on track. Yeah. Um, um, you would almost call him, you know, the <laughs> the executive producer on top of uh, uh, producing so much of the music. Did was a uh, I can hear music was that f- that f- the first one Carl produced? Yeah, I believe so. I mean, the first one was released. Yeah, right, few, right, right, right. There are a few oddball sessions um, earlier, you know, where he's was a tune X, and um, you know, where where he where he uh, tried his hand at doing a wrecking crew hmm. uh, session, but I think that's the first one that he really did. Now that, and my recollection, without really looking at, it, is that that actually is a built-up track it's not mm. um not something that was played you know live by a bunch of musicians although that's what it sounds like it sounds like a you know a kind of phil specterist kind of track but it was it was it was done um with successive overdubs if i if i'm remembering correctly not having right. looked at it in a while isn't that the strange thing when you think about brian was trying to do what you could do on pro tools now with smile like it was so he was kind of ahead of his time while he was trying to do all the splicing and everything Oh yeah, well that's that's something that Alan and I real Alan Boyd and I realized when we went to do Smile is that without um, random you know uh, random access ed- editing plus having um, um, a database mm. with all the material um, uh, in, you know uh, saved so you could find it, uh, but most importantly that you could do random access editing and just you know you got four pieces you could try A B C D you could buy, try A C D A you know. I mean, you could do anything in in no time at all, and um, I, I don't know what's more amaz- uh, more surprising to me. What's it's less surprising to me that 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 he he ran into this problem, but what's most surprising to me is that he did exactly you know that with um, good vibrations. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a slightly smaller scale, but um, and it's only one song, but that's exactly where it came from. Yeah. Um, I mean the you know the quiet section. I mean that was a very in, in good vibrations. That was a very late addition um, to uh, 
to the record and we you know we have we have semi-complete versions where the track is more or less the way you know we know it but not quite and um, you know there's an early version with a completely different chorus um, so <laughs> I don't know I, I don't know that, to me that's that he finished that is more surprising really than um, uh, you know that that, that smile uh, proved uh, somewhat insurmountable I mean especially heroes and villains because he was just cutting all these different themes and and the variations on the themes hmm. and um, uh, yeah for for whatever I mean well the technical end of it just you know just just made, made that all but impossible I mean uh, even even having all that it was an enormous undertaking yeah um, to uh, you know to put all that stuff together what was it what was it like when you got the tapes. The smile tapes that must have been just unbelievable. Well, I, I'd had those for a long time. Oh, um, really? Wow. Well, yeah, because in eighty, uh, what eighty seven, I think uh, somewhere in there. I mean, when when uh, the first uh, I started working for Brian in eighty seven, and because I was working for Brian, I was handed the job of of um, the first CD issue of Pet Sounds and, and the Tufers and the box sets mm-hmm. and so on and so forth, but. Around '87, I was commissioned to do a research because, you know, for the twentieth time, uh, there was talk, or the, or the record label, you know, wanted to uh, put Smile out. I mean, it had such a, you know, enduring um, uh, legacy that uh, uh, they wanted to put it out. So, we, you know, we did a lot of research, just brought all the tapes in, and you know, made wow. made reference mixes and so on and so forth. And then, and then ultimately, the project was abandoned. Um, so I've been hearing that stuff for, you know, for many, many years by the time we got to it. And then, of course, you know, the first part of finishing Smile was Brian, you know, finishing it um, uh, for himself. And in a way that, you know, it certainly wouldn't have been in 1966 um, because Brian's wound up filling, uh, what, two and a, I think two and a half, uh, the two and a half discs? I can't remember. Well, certainly, or three discs. Certainly more than the single disc that, that was intended. Yeah. Um, and there's there's no clear indication, I mean, except for what's written, you know, on the back of the the album, the, the album cover that uh, you know, he was trying to hold capital off with, uh, you know, what the album was actually gonna contain. Uh, uh, but it certainly wouldn't have been what it what it became in two thousand four because he used everything. Yeah, that whole box set. Really I, I, have that, anything. I have that big box set of the smile thing. It's unbelievable. I love that it's in mono. I know. Yeah. That, I, I'm glad they didn't do some sort of weird duophonic. He didn't. Well, do yeah, it's in mono for two reasons. I mean, more than anything, it's in mono because uh, on a lot of the stuff, all we have is uh, rough mixes that were made at the time. There, there clearly was a reel of um, master takes that got lost somewhere along the way. Okay. Um, uh, and we have a pretty good idea of what it contained. Um, uh, and, so, and then there were some tracks that had been pulled initially to for inexplicably to the reel that was used for stack of tracks. Um, uh-huh. My Sunshine, maybe one other one, had been on that reel but were then pulled again. And this is all, you know, long before, uh, you know, I got involved and we've, and we've never found um, that tape. Pretty sure we're never going to. Uh, for example, we know um, they they had the multi-track uh, to mix Cabin Essence, 
mm. at Capitol Studios, and we have all the mixes, but we don't have the the tape it was mixed from. So, mm. um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's lost the... along the way. I mean, you know, frankly, it, 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 it's a shame, but um, you know, we are so lucky that you know we probably have ninety percent of what we know of that they recorded. I can't swear to. You know, I, I would be surprised if, if there weren't things that, you know, were recorded over or thrown away or, you know, just yeah. being, you know, um, not worth saving, uh, rightly or wrong. And, you know, on this project, we um, we got three things um, from a guy named Don Goldberg, who had been involved with the Beach Boys um, during this period and uh, started um, uh, those, those three songs. Um it's uh, it's natural, sweet and bitter, um, and, and we found something. Oh, and we we found uh, the "Won't You Tell Me" demo on that reel. Um, and when you know they did a couple of sessions, and then when it, when it was obviously not going to get finished, uh, Brian gave the tape to uh, Don, and he mm -hmm. sat on it for years. Actually, did some overdubs on it, released it that way. Wow. Um, but you know, uh, we were only vaguely aware, um, you know, that that existed. I mean, the tweet better existed. The other, the other two things, we had no idea that they were there. Right. Um, I, I don't know how Sunflower wasn't hit. Like even Breakaway. I love that you put Breakaway on. I love that song. I think it's such a great song. Like, it's weird some of those well, songs. Well, it's, were never it's hit. pretty simple. I mean, you know, and, and I'm, <laughs> I'm a test case here because uh, I, you know, I was buying Beach Boy singles when I was, uh, you know, ten through fifteen, and even bought them. You know, when I was 12 and 64, so when, when the British invasion happened, you know, like everybody else, it was, you know, Beatles, Beatles, Beatles. But I was, I still <laughs> bought the Beach Boys records and they still had hits. But hmm. when 1967 rolled around and suddenly we're all buying albums and we're buying Hendrix and Cream and Jefferson Airplane and singles don't mean anything. Hmm. Um, and I'd never bought a Beach, I mean, I think I probably had bought Pet Sounds, but I didn't really, you know, I would. <laughs> same as everybody else pretty much in this country didn't really you know you know didn't didn't relate to it the way i had the earlier records when i was younger and um you know so when um well sunflower came along i mean frankly sunflower to me is a pretty good progression from wild honey to 2020 to friends yeah uh, through a order but anyway um to to sunflower musically certainly yeah. 2020 is prototype sunflower with all you know everybody sort of you know doing their own thing um their image just didn't you know didn't jive with what was happening so it if they'd been a new band they probably would have done better uh because what i recall is that there was an awful lot of of um different kinds of music being you know and groups being listened to in that period i mean you know the, the birds doing you know country tinge stuff and uh bands like manhattan transfer doing and, and dan hicks doing stuff that sounded like it came from the 30s <laughs> you know and the and miles davis aretha franklin playing the fillmore i mean there was a lot of you know a lot of that uh, was respected but the beach boys even after they ditched the striped shirts or the white suits or whatever still had that baggage of being an oldies act you know? yeah um i mean lumped in with you know uh, uh 
no disrespect, but I mean, Jan and Dean and Gary Lewis and the Playboys and, you know, um, that, that they were different um, didn't, you know, didn't seem to matter at that point. And it took, it took changing their image and their music uh, when Surf's Up came along. And I think, frankly, the, the decision to, to make Surf's Up songs the centerpiece was really, really smart because that legend had endured as a, as a, as I remember getting a habit somewhere in Cheetah magazine, which was a, you know, um, counterculture magazine in the sixties or late sixties. Uh, I think it was Joel Siegel wrote this article uh, about, about really about Brian, but about the beach boys also uh, goodbye surfing. Hello God. And talking about this, about smile and the smile myth. And um, you know, so that, you know, that, that's um, that had that did transcend their their image, uh, but it you know nothing. It, it's not like it had come out. It it, uh, it was just something um, that that even even in the midst of all this stuff, when they couldn't get their records played, was being talked about. So putting that on the record, I think, uh, is a really you know re- really smart move. And you know, and songs about ecology. I mean, I, I remember getting the album, and you know it it fit with what I was listening to. Whereas right. Sunflower yeah, didn't, didn't, didn't because um, the, um, the subject matter was, um, you know, much more, I mean, it's a great record. Yeah. The subject matter was not political. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, barely, but I mean, you didn't have, you know, it wasn't, and it wasn't as personal. Um, yeah. Um, more traditional so yeah i mean it just there's always a lot of factors besides <laughs> i mean look how long it took pet you know it took pet sounds to achieve um you know uh, the status it has now i mean it took you know yeah 40 years whatever it was i mean forever crazy that that remix you did at the stereo remix of of pet sounds is incredible i have the analog productions vinyl of it that just sounds amazing man how hard was that to kind of you must have to sync things and everything well yeah it was a little tough back then because we didn't have yeah the first time i did it for the stereo mix i had to do it with two digital uh tape machines so it took yeah i mean it wasn't you know that bad but it took a bit of time second time i did it for the dvda I had a, I had a, a, a doll by then, so uh, right. syncing the 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 two or in some cases three tapes um, was a good bit easier. Now, I mean, I can you know I can I can sync a song up in you know half an hour maybe. Um, it, it's you know it's just so much easier. Yeah. Um, how, sorry. How do you um, how do you do you still use a analog are you in hybrid you digital and analog like mixing you use more plugins are you using outboard gear i'm entirely yeah in the last how long it's been but it seems like you know the last bunch of projects have all been uh entirely digital right um uh, no analog uh mixing um at all and um the the main reason that I mean, besides the fact that there's an awful lot of stuff, an awful lot of plugins doing things that do not exist in nature, mm-hmm. um, so they allow for um, sonic enhancement, if you will, just just for want of a better term, um, that you you couldn't do uh, 
you know, in an analog medium. But the thing I like about it the most is that it, it removes the, the, the technology uh, challenge, the challenge of the, techno the old technology from the equation. I mean, having to deal with analog outboard gear and, you know, limited uh, 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 automation and programming and recall and so you can you can just go back to uh, mixing with the front part of your brain, or creating with the front part of your brain. Um, uh, you know, with, without without having to worry about well, if I have to go back to this or if yeah. I'm printing mixes. And we used to do this thing when we would print mixes from analog. Okay, we're, we like that, but we better print the mix, the, the vocal, the lead vocal, up a half a dB and down a half a dB. I mean, it just got you know. Right. Uh, <laughs> the recall. Know, all these things that were that yeah, that were that were uh, influenced uh, or restricted by, you know, the technology. I mean, the fact that it it it, it had gotten that far. I mean, mm. a track, sixteen tracks, not not too bad. Although even there, it can be a bit daunting. But you know, twenty four track more daunting. And then we were into you know, you know, forty eight track, and sometimes bigger than that. And so it it it, it was very unwieldy to, um, to to do your best um, with those things. And then there's a lot of things you I won't bore you with the tech, tech technology. No, please. But there's an awful lot of creative things you can do if you're mixing all digital um, that would be impossible or next to impossible to accomplish in the in analog uh, media. I mean, so, I mean, or complicated. I mean, sub buses and um, automated plugins. Automate, you can automate everything. So, I mean, you know, that's what I love about it. If I go, if I'm mixing and I go, you know, I really would like a little more uh, echo here. I can just, I can just write that and be done. Oh, you know, this part of the vocal is kind of strident. I think if I, you know, if I, if I reduced or changed the EQ for these lines, that would take care of it. And that it'll, it won't take much longer than it did to say that, mm -hmm. to do that. And then it's there and it, it'll always be there, you know. Are you, are you using a mouse? Are you mixing with a mouse? Are you using any? Oh, no, no. I, I, I use a <laughs> Huey. <laughs> Human user interface. Oh, the Huey. <laughs> I got this thing. I got this thing lately. I'll show you. It's um, SoftTube. I'm sure you know. It's like this console one thing. Oh, yeah. They're all, yeah oh, making, man. Yeah. They're amazing, those things. Because it's got like yeah, an SSL I, kind of emulation right. and you get a Neve and an API and all that kind of stuff. But it's just in not looking at the screen. Right. You're just doing it. That's what I like because yeah, I'm so used to looking at the screen and I think you know mixing with my eyes, not with my hand ears sometimes. Yeah, I ha I have a couple here. I have a couple of Avid S ones which I really like. Nice. You know, Sixteen channels of faders, um, and I also have another another room with a twenty four channel, uh, uh, slightly more elaborate surface, and then you know I also work I also work at uh, the iHeart Theater. And we have a 32 fader um, controller there, which for live is is perfect because, well, 32 faders is about the most I'd ever want to sit in front of. Actually, 24 is even better, you know, because otherwise I'm going to sort of reach for the last eight. <laughs> but the beautiful thing about a controller is that you can build snapshots or layers. So, you know, if I've got 10 tracks of drums, I don't need to see that in front of me all the time. I just need a master fader. But if I push one button, 
I'll have all the drums in front of me again. So it's, it's, um, the ergonomics are just, you know, way, way better. And, uh, again, just, you know, uh, allow you to be creative as, a, as opposed to chasing the, uh, the technology over the place. I remember I, I got hired to sub for somebody on a job a few years ago and in a, in a video truck, it was some little, you know, live thing. And it's an analog console and I'm looking at it going, Oh my God. <laughs> there's like, there's like, you know, 20 knobs for each channel. And then it's just like, uh, you know, I mean, I've got to have all this in front of me. Whereas, you know, if it's, if it's, if it's uh, all digital, I can, I can look at what I need to look at and then, you know, yeah. put it away essentially and not have to see it. All I have to see is the, you know, the fader and, and uh, maybe a few echo sense. If I even want that, I mean, uh, yeah, it just, uh, you know, it, <laughs> it removes an awful lot of impediments. And then, of course, the fact that it's small and low profile, you know, um, it, the, the console itself has no, has no effect on, uh, on the sound getting to you. Yeah. Well, that's a plus. Do you sum your mixes out through a summon box or you just sum through Pro Tools? No, I'm doing it all all internally. Um, and, and a lot of that's because there are an awful lot of uh, mas master plugins that um, you know, can make a tremendous difference uh, for the positive. And uh, yeah, you could sum it out and do it in pieces, but um, and I and I could. I mean, I still have my studio with a big API console. And I don't know what to do with it. Oh man! Um, but um, yeah, it just uh, it 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 hasn't seemed like the right thing to do for a long time. And the other thing is that that you know I can if I decided you know right now I wanted to go mix uh, just you know see what see what a new mix of say Johnny Carson. Uh, would sound like i mean i can i can uh, be uh, be up and and actually being creative with that yeah in about half hour 45 minutes that's because cool. um, yeah, i have because you know there's a whole lot of this you know you build templates um you know so when i start a mix um you know all the all the standard stuff that that i know i'm going to want the uh you know whatever reverbs i'm into this this month uh, doesn't change that much and then you know the, the bus processing and this band bus processing or you know whatever even down to you know what in general i like to start with on, on every instrument um mm. i mean you know i can install all that very very quickly and um you know as compared to you know what it used to take to get a mix up and running um, yeah. where you could actually listen to the music, you know, and you don't, the worst thing you can do is take too long to get to that point. <laughs> yeah. the, the trick is, the trick is to get the whole thing up and running where you can hear it as a performance. And then before you burn out, you know, yeah, start adjusting. And then, you know, some of these things when, I mean, I'm finding, I've been, I've been listening to some of that love you stuff, that era, and it's much trickier. Um, right get right so the fact that i can do it and come back to it uh and maybe come back to it again um is you know is really a godsend hmm. um, why is it trickier um because well uh, partly because the arrangements are are kind of you know offbeat mm -hmm. and the recording is as well um, right 
Uh, I mean, if only, you know, almost all of that stuff is using a, a, synth, a synth for bass. Yeah. And that's tricky. Uh, the drum tracks are very limited. Um, uh, I mean, they love your stuff tends in a lot of ways to sound like the tracks were more like, I mean, they're not demos, but that they were recorded more like demos than, you know, really, really worked on as, um, performances so it's a little it's trickier to um to make everything fit than it would be you know uh, even in the sunflower period where mm -hmm. where you have a fairly traditional approach to uh um to the recording and it's much it's also you know the, the sunflower serves up there it's much more elaborate mm -hmm. uh, you know, backing tracks the vocals are always good but the tracks um you know, just by the very nature, but that's also the the charm of of, of uh, a lot of the later stuff. Yeah. What, what's your uh, speaking of plugins? We're on the plugin line. What's your go to plugins? Have you any ones that you're kind of because you know you always get those plugins that you kind of always kind of use? There's yeah. I mean, yeah, and I'm not I'm not someone who get, you know is all hung up in the oh you know does this does this uh, version of the Neve 1073 actually sound like a real 1073? I you know. <laughs> I don't even compare them. I just tend to use the Waves uh, uh, 1070, the VEQ4, the 1073 mm -hmm. um, emulation. I use that a lot. Um, but I also use the, uh, you know, the Avid EQ7 and, and other, you know, uh, other odd ones um, mm -hmm. here and there. And then there's all kinds of specialty stuff. I mean, uh, um, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm amazed. And some of the stuff that uh, you know uh, people are coming up with. I mean, uh, it's crazy. Some of these, you know, these auto these automated equalizers, and um, you know, uh, yeah, Gold tape Fox and all that plugins, thing. and yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just you know. What do you what do you think of the tape machine? Because I've never used tape, so I can't. I cannot go. Oh, that sounds like tape. But let's uh, do it. Something. I mean, I'm not. I'm not somebody who could ever want would ever want to go back to using tape. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, but, but uh, a lot of the tape machine plugins, especially the UAATR one, right. really, yeah, there's all kinds of sounds in that one that, um, that just work. Right. Uh, and not always the one you would expect. I mean, um, and I, I don't even know how accurate they are because for one thing I noticed is if you, have, if you set it up as a 15 IPS and you go to 30, it's definitely going to get a lot brighter. Right. And that's not really what I remember from, um, you know, from, from, from real tape days. Um, but sometimes, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, doing that works really well. And I, but sometimes taking it down to seven and a half where it's a lot, you know, darker Crunchy. and grungier, yeah. that can work too. Um, cool. So it's, and that's about to me. That's about the best one. The other, uh, uh, there are issues with it, hmm. um, only because like like a number of UA plugins, they built alias aliasing filters into them to make them actually sound like the analog gear they were they were right. copying. Problem is that if you look at it on a spectrograph, yeah, and of course, an awful lot of people do that. <laughs> it looks like if you're in a high res, you know, if you're presenting it as a high res um, uh, mix, uh. it looks like it rolls off. If you put it on the stereo bus, uh. it looks like it's rolling off at around 50K or something. It's not, but that's what it looks like. So, 
I, I have, I've had, I think we may have gotten away from that because nobody's really brought it up in the past uh, seven or eight years. But uh, I remember re, uh, remastering pretty much the whole catalog. And then there was this complaint from the label that, you know, oh, well, we looked at it. <laughs> and UA fessed up and somewhere I have a list of all, of all their plugins that, um, that, that do that. So I had to go back and, and uh, you know, redo an awful lot of work. Uh, wow. Because people were looking at the music as opposed oh, to... Oh, man. <laughs> so you can never even hear it. Like, we couldn't, our hearing wouldn't even be good enough to hear it, like 50,000. Well, it's not, it, it, it isn't actually doing that. It's, it, yeah. it, it uh, I don't quite know how to explain it. it. I mean, it's way above anything that, yeah, uh, uh, any, any of us are going to hear. And if it wasn't, they wouldn't have done it. Um, it's just something they need, they, you know, there's all, I mean, there's, I, I have to find the list, but I mean, it's the ATR and some of the Poltex and, you know, uh -huh. um, I do, I'm, I'm actually me and dig that list out. I think I know where it is. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, but so, yeah, but I, I, I do look at that and I avoid using, unfortunately, mm. I avoid using the ATR because we're always working in high res and mm. they want to release it in high res. So uh, I just, you know, I've just stopped using that particular plugin on the stereo bus. And I do tend to check, with a spectrograph um you know what what the mixes look like um at the end of the process to make sure that they're you know they're not giving the illusion that they're they're not high risk right. ironically the other, the other way you can also solve it is is if you if you um whatever it is if you record if you play it out analog and re-record it at anything you know um whatever you want i mean play it out analog and re-record it at 192 24 that's what it'll look like right um, so it's it's a bit of a uh, a labeling you know thing um that people want to buy you know buy the stuff a certain way yeah uh, and they have expectations <laughs> yeah what, what what what's it like being a Beach Boys fan as a young person, and then you're now working on all their stuff for the past, like, since the 80s nearly. That's incredible. 34, 34 years, yeah. That is incredible. What's that like? Um, well, I mean, it's not like it's the only thing I do. So, I mean, I've made a million records in, the, you know, in my 40, 50 years of yeah. uh, doing this. This has just been kind of a constant... Um, for, you know, for the most part, I mean, I did all of Brian's solo records, uh, mm -hmm. Save uh, Imagination, and well, yeah, I wouldn't really count on Radar anyway. Um, from the first one uh, through the last one I did, Disney, I guess, yeah. Um, uh, but me. <sighs> I mean, I've just always liked the music. I mean, before, you know, before I got involved and, and uh, um, all the time I've been involved. So it's just, you know, it's a great catalog to work with. It, it, it's, um, it never gets, you know, um, it never gets boring yeah. uh, musically. Um, I mean, I'm, you know, we're just starting to, to uh, you know, look at the next, the next year. I mean, looking at... Uh, Carl the Passions oh, and uh, live at Carnegie Hall, um, and uh, I've still got, I've got a still got a pile of tapes. I need to I need wow. to transfer. We've been transferring 
stuff to digital for um, oh, a little over almost 22 years now. Whoa. But there's still, you know, s- still stuff we hadn't gotten to. So for this, actually, this might be the, the first time that we've got a fair, well, not a fair amount, but, you know, probably 20 or 30 tapes that uh, we just hadn't gotten around to uh, mm. transferring in the past. Uh-huh. How, do, how did you um, get into the art of producing and mixing? Were you in a band first and then you went that route? Or? No, I've always been a, been a behind-the-scenes guy. I started out in lighting. Uh, a million years ago, I, in the fabulous '60s, I was actually I had my own light show company. Oh wow, that's cool! Yeah. yeah, well, it was a lot of fun, but you know, it wasn't exactly uh, a career. Uh, <laughs> so uh, from there, I, uh, uh, I had a partnership and um, had a sound uh, sound company um, in the early '70s, and we did yeah we did a lot of smaller shows. I mean. Our sort of constant clients were like Seals and Crofts and Livingston Taylor and Manhattan Transfer and hmm. Shauna and uh, um, and but we really it, you know this is and this is the days when nothing was off the shelf. I mean, you really you know almost had to build it yourself. Um, right. And so we really you know it worked for a while, but we were we were we were not poised for the big time. And so I, I gave I gave up on that after a few years. Came out here and worked in a couple of pretty crummy studios. Um, uh, not, under, I mean, I got to engineer, but I didn't, you know, what I didn't understand at the time was that I wasn't, I mean, I could teach myself certain things, but <laughs> I wasn't going to get the experience of seeing how, um, how, 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 you know, how successful, you know, and, and, and good engineers did their job. And um, uh, so that didn't really lead anywhere either. And uh, ultimately, I went back east, uh, where I'm from, and went back to college. And through a very, very strange set of circumstances, literally one afternoon, got a phone call um, that uh, Frank Zappa was starting a tour in Hartford and needed a PA mixer because the guy they had hired was deathly ill and couldn't do the tour. And so you know, four o'clock, I come home from school, get this phone call, uh, uh, get on a plane, fly down to Hartford, and I'm mixing the show by the end of the night. And, wow. Uh, um, I worked for Frank for a little over a year uh, and then went on. I spent the next I spent the next three years pretty much um, touring and doing uh, concert sound. I worked for, uh, for Zappa and then ELO and Earth, Wind and & Fire, Rufus, and then I started working for Journey and uh, helped get the, their, you know, their breakthrough record, Infinity, um, finished. But by then, I had really had enough of touring. Hmm. Um, I wanted to get back in, in the studio. And with the help of uh, George Massenburg, who was Earth, Wind & Fire's engineer and who I had um, done a bit of second engineering, he... He helped me get a job at Sunset Sound, you know, big time studio here in LA. Wow. And uh, so finally, at the age of 26, I guess, just about, you can't be much older than that. Uh, you know, suddenly I'm now working, you know, assisting the biggest guys in the business and making, you know, and just making contacts. And, um, um, you know, after a few years, uh, I went independent, which didn't really turn out so great. But somebody I knew, I had met 
while I worked at Sunset, told me about a job opening up at, at Warner Brothers Records studio, Amigo. Uh, went out there, had an interview, got hired, and uh, started doing all these incredible records. I mean, I, I did Randy Newman's Trouble in Paradise. I did Three Amigos soundtrack. I did Los Lobos' first record. I did a whole bunch of stuff. Wow. Got my wife there. Um, and then just, you know, the, just it's it's it really is like a snowball. And yeah. then, as, you know, I got the job doing all this Beach Boy and Brian stuff. Because one afternoon I called uh, uh, what was then Ocean Way, had been Western Studios, and to book, I presumably to book a, something of my own. And the, uh, the the booker said, "By the way, we have a last minute session. I, you know, two days from now, uh, Brian Wilson's coming in, and they need an engineer. You want to do it?" I'm like, "Sure." I'd worked with Carl a little bit. Ironically, I engineered the. Um, the background vocal session for David Lee Roth's California Girls. <laughs> that is cool. Because <laughs> I worked at Warner's, and um, but I'd never worked with Brian, but of course I heard all the stories, so why not? And so this was the height of the Landy years, and that's oh. actually why it was like that. Landy used to, you know, it was a control thing, I guess. You know, okay, you know, we're, we're done for the week or whatever, you know. And then he would suddenly tell the assistants, no, I want to put, I want Brian to go in the studio and work. So find a studio, find an engineer. And that's, so that's how I, you know, that, that's how I got hired for that day. And uh, I stayed, I was on that project for over a year. Wow. Um, um, and that's, you know, that's led us where, <laughs> where, we, where we are today. Um, I mean, it's more than enough, but that, that, that's really, all, all that came out of that association. I mean, there have been a few, a few people that have come to me over the years and like, oh, you do this, so you know, we'd like you to mix, mix or record something. But um, uh, I would say, actually, other, other than the thirty-four years of, of work both on Brian's records and, and on the Beach Boys catalog, it hasn't, it hasn't really been something that career-wise has led, um, you know, led, led anywhere else as opposed to other clients. Um, well, I guess because my other clients were always producers, so they were always, you know, yeah. here's another act we're going to work with, or you know, so um, it, it it wound up being those those kind of things wound up being more varied. Although I did well, I guess that's not quite true because when I went to work on Brian's first solo album, I met Andy Paley who was co-producing, and we did an awful lot of projects together in the uh, in the nineties. Because he, you know, he worked for, uh, for Sire Records for for Seymour Stein, so we did, you know, all these soundtracks and and uh, artists. Um, nothing that ever really hit the big time, but you know, yeah. um, you know, a lot of big. Pro oh, and, I, and the other thing about working at Warner Brothers was that I uh, I wound up uh, doing all the engineering. For the Hendrix estate for like 15 years. Wow. Um, Alan Douglas came into uh, Warner's to put together the Kiss the Sky project. So I did that. And then, you know, uh, he kept me on doing projects until whenever it was and around 2005, I think, somewhere in there where the, the family sued to get it back. Um, yeah. Um, so, that, yeah, I mean, I've kind of, that's, that's way in the rearview mirror, but yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, that went on for 
for a long, long time. We did a lot of stuff. I mean, a lot of live records, um, mostly live, you know, live stuff, Monterey, Berkeley, um, Nebworth, uh, Woodstock, um, a few, a few studio things, but, but, but mostly what Alan was into was releasing all the live, all the live material. Jeez. I remember, um, I'm from a, like a tiny town in Ireland and I was up in just the pub once and I was like looking across the room and, and the, the guy who won the pub, I was like, do I know that guy? And he's like, oh yeah, it's Mitch Mitchum. He comes here all the time. I'm like, Great quiet wow. guy. He just, he just go, go to like this tiny place and he'd like just be super quiet, just drink a beer, whatever he had, no one to bother him. So he just loved that. I was like, That's Yeah, cool. I had him at the studio. Um, we were doing... A voodoo soup was the album. It's not in print anymore. And Mitch was involved with that. Um, I forget exactly why. Um, what he was, we didn't play. Uh, I don't think I remember him playing. No, uh, but it, I remember him being right. I've got a picture up over there of, uh, <clears throat> of us in the studio. <laughs> it also. <laughs> It was, you know, such a um, fast-paced time. Um, it, 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 it's funny to think about. It. It's, a, you know, it's, a, it's, yeah, it's a while ago, but, but um, um, all that stuff just sort of stopped. I mean, the you know, record making for me just, you know, sort of stopped in the last. Uh, I don't know. It's been like 10, 15 years, something like that, yeah. except for these. Primarily these Beach Boy projects and a few other things here and there, but I mean, you know, it. The industry has changed so much. Mm. Uh, you know, for a while, a, a really nice thing was that bands could do their own record. Um, I mean, you know, hire a real studio, you know, to do a real record, and uh, put it out <clears throat> either, well, put it out themselves, and and make money. Yeah, and then that. <laughs> And that ended. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it's okay. I, you know, I, I will do things. I, I've, I've done a fair number of things in the past year, actually, uh, just to help <clears throat> to help you know bands that I've worked with that yeah. you know found themselves una unable to play live, obviously, and worse, you know, losing their day jobs hmm. because of the pandemic. So, um, one of the things I did last year was go through all of my archives and get them all cleaned up and retransferred and, you know, organized. Um, and, uh, you know, did, did, a, did a few records for, for people, um, you know, from that, from that material, things that they had forgotten about, hmm. um, uh, just to get a little something, you know, just to help them out and get a little something going. Yeah. You're, and and uh, I was I always thought it was cool when I watched that Love and Mercy movie and you oh, were playing yeah. Chuck Brisbane. That was sweet. I was like, I know that dude. I was like, oh, it's Mark Lynette. I was like, yeah. sweet, man. What was that well, like, I got, dude? I, yeah, I got hired to be the tech consultant for the studio stuff. I mean, that, Bill, Bill Pollard, the director, really wanted it to look yeah, like, like it was a real documentary and, and to make sure that there weren't any of those stupid faux pas you see in all these movies it's like when i watched the queen movie it's i mean it's almost from my point of view i mean i can't tell you whether it's like drum kit or the right guitar or anything although they, i know they, they they did get the loan of brian may's guitar which is yeah. smart. Yeah. but there's one studio scene 
where uh, the Freddie Mercury character is, is, you know, has got a mic and, and he's singing into it the wrong way. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's a mic, it's a front address mic, an RE20, but it's like this and he's singing, you know. Um, oh no! Hate that stuff. Anyway, so Bill really wanted that. Wanted it to be that accurate. They hired musicians to play the musicians. You know, um, so I got hired to be the tech consultant for all the studio stuff, and um, and actually, you know, helped with this. You know, help proof. I proofread the script and you know made some corrections. None of that. You know, that's the one. And then at some point, I guess they decided that rather having uh, you know having me try to teach you know somebody how to just you know most of what i did was i sat there and you know looked like i was engineering so rather than have me teach somebody how to do that they would they would you know see if i could do it and uh, so i had a little screen test and they said fine so then to this day i get i get little 30 dollar checks every oh, once in a while. oh sweet <laughs> get those royalties in eh <laughs> yeah. that's savage do you, so, have... you know, it was a nice experience that's cool man i i thought the movie was great i liked the way it was like you know, I had to. It, at first, I wasn't sure about Cusack playing, but then I thought, ah, oh, it's kind of cool. Yeah, like, I have a problem with Cusack, and I yeah. don't know whether it's because, well, partly because, you know, I look at him and I see John Cusack, but also because I, the period, that period that they're doing, I was there. So if they had actually, if they had done, you know, sessions in the studio, yeah. you, you'd have somebody sort of being me. Um, and I thought it was actually, I did think it was kind of unfortunate. I don't know why they did this. They didn't present Brian creating yeah. uh, in the 80s. I thought that was kind of weird. But uh, yeah, so, but, but knowing that Brian made it, you know, made it kind of weird for me. Now, I mean, you know, I, I and I thought Paul, I think Paul Dano did, did a fantastic job channeling Brian. And the fact that he's a pretty good musician. I mean, they didn't, they didn't hire him because they knew he could play piano and sing. Turned out he could. So, you know, the scene where he's doing God Only Knows for his father, that's yeah. Paul playing and singing. I mean, yeah. you know, that that just makes it work rather than, you know, some fake thing. That's um, cool. Yeah, I, I I just thought he did a he did a really a really really good job of, of portraying um, uh, the Brian. And again, okay, it looks like him. You know, yeah. I would have personally preferred that they had you know had him. Play the older Brian as well. Yeah. I think it would have connected more. But that you know that was something that, uh, that that writer likes to do. That same guy who did the I haven't seen it, but the one where Dylan five different people play Dylan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it either, but I heard it's like eh, you know. I know it's trying to be kind of artsy, but you know, I, I get well, what the, gimmick, I get. Yeah. yeah, I get what they were kind of doing. That kind of like he's different, you know. But I don't know. You know, it kind it kind of works and kind of doesn't, but yeah, I would have loved Paul Dano just the whole way through. Guy's a beast of an actor. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think if you, if you'd made him look older, it would have been it. It, it would have made the connection deeper. Now maybe it would be different. Mm. You know, if the intention is that he's sort of like two different people, mm. then uh, you know, would you, then, would you, then it would then it wouldn't be it wouldn't be different in the same way. Yeah. Do you get? Do you actually get time to listen to much music outside of the Beach Boys, like music that you like as well? Like you, I'm real. You know, it's it, except for what I wind up working on um, at iHeart. For example, day before yesterday, I I did uh, an Imagine Dragons show. Okay. And actually, I'm let's see. I'm waiting to see whether my mixes are going to need to be updated. And we're doing uh, Coldplay next week. Oh, um, cool. Other than that, 
uh, you know, I, I don't really, um, I don't really listen to new music. I mean, I, you know, I see what's on TV and uh, find it mostly distressing. Um, <laughs> well, it's saying. funny, you know, I, I, I had the TV on last night and it was one of those time life hits of the 60s, you know, yeah. you know for an obscene amount of money. I, mean, I couldn't believe it. It's like 150, was it 150 <laughs> hits for like four, four or five? It was like, it was like $150. I mean, it was like ridiculous. Yeah. You know? But anyway... <laughs> But it's just like song after song after song. And you just go, my God. I mean, you know, this stuff was all so good. And it's nothing like what, you know, what's what's going on today. Yeah. Um, um, I remember this a few years ago working, uh, doing a, a festival. And um, I forget who the artist was, but he's doing all his new stuff. And it's, yeah, it's okay. And then, and then he inserts the oldies in his set, an oldie in his set, and it was, um, I don't know if it was Ain't No Mountain High Enough or something, one of those Motown songs. I mean, and suddenly the whole thing just came alive, you know, not, I mean, it was like, yeah, if you told me they changed everybody, I would have believed it because it's just, you know, (laughs) yeah, a whole different art to it. I mean, you know, the thing I, I notice when I see somebody on TV now is like, I can't understand a word, first of all, and um, because they don't leave, I mean, they don't leave any room for the lyric and and the melody, um, which seems to be on purpose. There's not much melody in the new songs. They're just two-tone melodies, isn't it? Yeah. And the arrangements are are always ridiculously long. I mean, you know, if you you would normally have a four-bar or an eight-bar intro, it'll go on for 16 bars or more. I mean, it's just like, (laughs) Every song is like five and a half minutes long. It's like, well, you know, what happened? It used to be, uh, uh, you know, a two-minute song. Uh, uh, you know, got it across. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I, there probably is stuff out there. I just, you know, um, yeah. all know of the ma- mainstream stuff. I'm with you on that. It's like the same chord progression the whole time. You're like, dude, come on. Nothing's, yeah. nothing's ever. I think the production is better than the songs. Like a lot of the production is cool, but then the music is like eh. yeah. And and the other thing that strikes me, I mean, having grown up with it, is that when when the, the music I was listening to, you know, when, when I was growing up, I, I like to say it was so mysterious. I mean, it was you know, I mean, all these all these records, everybody's records. I mean, it, you know, they sounded like they were coming from another planet. Yeah, I, you know, they they you had no idea how. I mean, speaking as somebody who was. Um, you know, who wanted to know how this stuff worked. I mean, uh, uh, it had some vague knowledge. Um, yeah. it, you know, it was just so uh, otherworldly. And now, of course, you know, everything is on the internet. Everything is on YouTube. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, anybody for a very, very small amount of money um, um, can get within range of the best recording studio in the world. I mean... The difference between amateur recording and professional, there is no difference anymore. It's what you do with it. Yeah. Um, I mean, um, and there's, you know, I mean, good and bad things. I mean, it's the exact same technology that I'm using, you know, uh, to mix in a more creative way and do better things, you know, for for what I work with. It's the same, it's the same thing. Um, And I, I mean, 
you could argue about this with any you know any aspect of technology for well recording or anything else hmm. uh, you know there was a time when uh overdubbing a vocal was uh a, a, you know if you got caught if, if the afm caught you overdubbing a vocal you were supposed to pay all the musicians again because before that right. in order to to do a vocal i mean to do you know you you uh, uh when it was just mono Okay. Um, you know, unless you were going to dump machine to machine, you had to do it all live. I mean, I, 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 guys I used to work for told me stories of, you know, doing Dean Martin records and they'd go in the studio with a 20 piece orchestra and Dean, and they would, you know, they would record like it was live and they'd say, thank you very much. We got it. Uh, the engineer, the producer and Dean would go around the corner, have dinner, come back and lock the doors Whoa. and then do, do overdub the vocals so they wouldn't get caught. Man, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that overdubbing is... was, you know, well, I mean, you know, it goes back further than that. I mean, uh, uh, when radio started playing records, I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and you can keep going and say, you know, the industry embraced CDs like nobody's business because it made them a ton of money, but that technology. But then when... Um, Spot, I'm not Spotify, but when uh, what do you call it? Napster came along, uh, you know they thought they could they could sue it out of existence. Yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, <laughs> incredibly dumb. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, you know, so now, <laughs> you know, now the wrong uh, the money making is largely in the hands of third parties, you know, and the record labels, and the artists are getting screwed. Yeah, and uh, that you know, I have trouble understanding why anybody would even want. Uh, I mean, I guess if you could, well, when you could tour, it wasn't so bad. And I guess they're trying to get back to it. Um, yeah, why you'd you know why you'd want to go there? You know, the best and brightest. Um, you know what? What's what's the attraction? I, I don't. Um, I have trouble seeing it. The same as you know as it was forty years ago. But then you know if you're just new to it. Yeah. And I do wonder, I mean, if I'd had this kind of technology, um, you know, back then, you know, what I could have accomplished, just, you know, there were bands and, you know, things to do, but didn't have the, didn't have the equipment. And um, I mean, I, you know, I used to do remote recording, uh, you know, on my own with a portable 16 track and all this stuff that we would drag around, you know, some of them were, were actual records, but a lot of it was just sort of for funsies. That's cool. Uh, was that in the, in the Nigeras? Was that it? Was there Nigeras? Nigeras? They were like portable reel-to-reels. Well, I'm sorry? Uh, did you use one of those Nigeras or Nigeras? Was oh, like that was, no, no. We were using... A, I had a Stevens 16-track uh, uh, that uh, um, was very, very small. Um, and uh, But, you know, it's hanging around, all around mic breeze and, you know, analog cable and... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I own a big remote truck now, which is actually doing a, a shoot for Metallica today. And um, wow, sweet man! It'll be on Kimmel, I think. I don't know if it's tonight or next week, but um, um, you know, we you know, we can handle 192 tracks. Why we should need 192 yeah. tracks is another, you know, another yeah. question. <laughs> um, and you know, practically every band. Uh, you know, we ever see has got playback, um, you know, to some degree. 
and 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 from a from a work point of view that that's actually good because it it eliminates a lot of you know problems with live performance on the other hand it also takes away the spontaneity of the performance because whatever you're doing you have to follow this you know this click track from here to here you can't go well let's break it down and you know, <laughs> or do an extra chord nope nope you're just going yeah and um well that's okay um i i think you know an awful lot of music has been affected by you know by that mm. uh, that you know that you you are hemmed in like that um it's just one more thing um that, that that's changed you know the uh the way the music is um I mean, I'm always impressed when I, you know, when I get something that was actually recorded the old way. Like, oh, yeah, human beings <laughs> and not actually, beat detected. You know, whether they speed up or slow down, you know. Yeah, I like that. I like. Yeah, no, I, I, I like those flaws in records, even in like um in um. I still believe in you. I believe in you. Still oh yeah, you. well, there's a good like, example. Eh, eh, I mean, eh, that's it, yeah, I mean, that's there because Ryan conceptualized the song. Uh, and called it my childhood. It's not clear whether um, uh, Roger uh, 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 ever wrote li ever wrote lyrics for it, but you know they had the track. So when it became a love song, the bicycle bell and the, and the little bicycle horn were there. And you know, unless he was going to recut the entire track, they were going to stay. Nowadays, they would have been done as probably as an overdub, and you could take them out in a minute. Would that be better? No. Yeah. Um, and there are all kinds of mistakes in records. I, uh, uh, Beach Boy Records too. I mean, uh, uh, they they get left in because uh, because you couldn't you, you couldn't get rid of them. Um, but it didn't it didn't it didn't hurt anything certainly, and maybe it helped. I don't know. I mean, uh, on um, on Big Surrey on Holland, Holland that that kind of that the, version, three, yeah. the three the three piece. It kind of goes to the left. And then goes to the right. Is is that was that done purposely? There's some yeah, like thing. Mean? The sound of it kind of goes from the left ear over to the right ear on one. Oh, I don't, well, I'm sure. Well, if it's there, I'm sure it was done on purpose. I, I, I don't. I don't uh, it's some part on the tr on the trilogy of the part. I don't know, but I remember hearing it first. I was like, "Oh, was that deliberately done? It was kind of going left and yeah, right." Yeah, it would it would have been. Yeah, you know, is it on? Is it when? Is it the start of uh, on my way to California? The, maybe, yeah, maybe. Marches, yeah, yeah. It's on one part, and I was, uh, I was, I was like, huh, okay. So, <laughs> but it was kind of cool, you know. Like those things are kind of cool because they're so different. Whereas now everything's like so beat detective, and I hate that crap because it just every drummer sounds like a drum machine now, and yeah. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I always say it's not the technology in and of itself isn't good or evil. It's just you know, it's just what you do with it. That's um, true. Um, or it can be used for good or evil, if you will. Yeah. Um, and I've been down that road. I mean, uh, you know, auto tune. Well, it's large. It it, it it can be very useful. Um, uh, you know, just fix one little thing. Unfortunately, it often you know, well, forgetting the, the 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 silly sounds, but I mean, just to fix an out of tune vocal. Yeah. Um, but you can go down a rabbit hole. I was working on a project one of these iHeart things last year, whenever it was, it wouldn't have been, no, two years ago now. And uh, it was a country artist, a very, you know, well-respected, good singing, but as it tends to be with country artists, 
they their producer and whatever engineer you know got deep into the tuning and and I, you know we wound up like going through you know line by line and you know you know looking at it as much as anything and I, uh, and, and some of it's just kind of silly because one thing that kept happening more than once was you, you know after you pick a section okay we got a we got a tune that line okay so I have to load that into uh, the tuning program and uh, then I can you know I can alter it and more than once I would you know I play it so I'm playing that line into the tuning program I haven't done anything and the <laughs> producer goes oh that's much better oh man no it's not it's exactly the same <laughs> but I've done it to my I, the same project did to myself I did it I drew the line I played it oh that's better and then I looked and the tuning plug-in was in bypass <laughs> I was hearing exactly what it started with, but you know, you know, hearing is a funny thing. I can remember in the old days with the analog console, you know, working on something, going, eh, "I need a little more high end on the on the symbols or something," and click. Ah, it's much better. And then ten minutes later, look and realize that the EQ isn't in. <laughs> I, 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 I increased the high end, so I heard quote unquote more high end, but. No. <laughs> yeah, it's mad. It's crazy, isn't it? What the hearing does, like, or your mind does, I should say. You know, we're we're convinced of certain things, and we're like, especially those kind. Oh, yeah, you know, those... yeah. Well, it's all, you know, it, it's related to the fact that we can listen to music, you know, in all in, in all levels of high fidelity, if you will. I mean, you know, maybe some of the oldest, oldest seventy eights can be a little hard to listen to because they're so limited in bandwidth, but. But you know, I mean, I I collected seventy eights for years, and the music's great, and the the you know the, the noise or the you know the limited fidelity didn't didn't, didn't hurt a bit. Um, yeah. They have actually contributed to the experience. Um, yeah. uh, you know, it, it, it it's um it, it's it's all subjective rather than objective. And, yeah. Um, I mean that's you know that's what art and music and music is, <clears throat> and I mean I you know I'm I'm happy when you ask about the Beach Boys you know to have this stuff to work on because it's still you know the kind of music that I appreciate. I mean, if there's anything I listen to, um, it's probably <laughs> it's probably at least thirty years old. Uh, <laughs> hey, that's uh, the that's the good stuff, man. That's the good stuff. I've been listening to these. Um, uh, tone poets, you know, Blue Note have been doing these uh, re-releases of the old old Blue Note records. They sound yeah. phenomenal. They just sound incredible. They're remastered by Kevin Gray, and they just sound man, just like it sounds like they're in the room. Oh, well, that's so, probably yeah, more than more the recording than anything else. But yeah, I mean, especially when you're back back in the days of capturing a performance. I, I actually just got. Um, I bought some tapes from a guy who had worked in a big studio out here and uh, in the sixties. And he was in, he was the one who would go to the library and, you know, pull stuff that, you know, was junk. They weren't going to use it and, you know, and toss it. And he was told he could keep it. So the one thing I got was the James Brown session and, cool. um, and it's, you know, mono live everything. And you just listen to it and you go, we have not progressed. You know, I mean, clearly it starts with, you know, how good the band was. But, yeah. I mean, just in terms of uh, of the recording, I mean, it's just amazing. Um, wow. And, um, 
uh, you know, this is like 1961 or something. Um, wow. That how's that like getting those reels and just putting them on? That must be incredible. Just just because it's just it's as it is almost. Not yeah, almost. it's all the outtakes. I mean, the master's off the is going off the reel, but it's all the outtakes. So there's like right, a, right, a few, a few false starts and uh, and one other complete take. Uh, but it's just like every time they they hit it, it's like. <laughs> The right there, just like the record, and you, you know, that's my cool. live tomato. And, uh, <laughs> I don't, you know, no way of knowing, how, you know, how many mics or you know what the, what they were doing at this point in time. Um, but it's just, you know, as an engineer and producer, you just listen. I listen to it, and I go, man, <laughs> you know, uh, we, we aren't doing anything that good now. Yeah. Um, um, you know, stereo, five one, immersive, all this stuff. You know, it's all kind of <laughs> beside the point. <laughs> yeah, man. Before I let you go, because I've taken up so much time, like thanks so much. Um, a, you're going releasing hopefully Carnal the Passions in Holland at some stage, and working your way up from there. Uh, well, we really haven't talked much past, <laughs> past that, but yeah, <laughs> uh, I I think it. Uh, I can't say a hundred percent because we haven't, you know, we haven't specifically agreed on everything, but I mean, this, you know, this has been very successful. So I've been assured that, um, that, you know, that's what we will, uh, yeah. we will do next year. Um, awesome. Um, it would, well, we, well, we have a lot of stuff that, you know, part of this has always been, um, uh, a copyright, um, Oh, the 50 issues. years thing, the England thing, is it? Yeah, yeah the, the 50, 50 years thing in England. And uh, so that, you know, that, that the good news is that made projects like the 64, 67, and 68 projects viable, although only one of those got released um, physically, which was unfortunate. But, yeah. Um, Wild Hunt and this, incredible. And, and uh, you know, and going onwards. So um, the necessity of it, um helps in terms of of uh, determining uh that that you know that, that we'll do these because yeah. there there's a long um uh, a, a long term need to have this stuff uh have the ownership yeah continue <laughs> uh, oh and i mean then so you know the powers that be uh see that as valuable and worth um worth spending money on where if it was yeah. just eh, you know put out this 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 stuff you know how much money is it going to make uh, yeah i mean i you know i know the box has been incredibly successful um and apparently has sold ten thousand copies now that's cool you know, that's that's a big big success for a physical package yeah um, not a lot of numbers um i mean you know but it does all the stuff you know streaming and the uh, the, the good vibrations box in 93 i think did something like 125,000 um they were, those were the that, days that was all that was, was physical i mean there's nothing but uh, whatever that was five five cd's i think i mean that's the only way you could buy it <laughs> yeah wow so it's hard to it, it it's there's no real equivalency uh with today they yeah. tell me it's they tell me it's doing great and uh, it's you know better than anybody expected that's, that's awesome. all I need to know. <laughs> that's awesome, man. It sounds great. I love it. I love it. Like I was saying, I just love all the kind of extra bits that you'd ever don't hear, and it's cool, man. 
Well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm always really fond of, of peeling the onion. I mean, you know, my favorite stuff tends to be, you know, take, take a record that, you know, like this whole world. And now let's take the lead vocal out. And yeah. So you get, you get it. Suddenly you get a much better sense of, you know the creative process i mean uh when it doesn't sound exactly like the record anymore or do acapella and 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 see that i mean that to me um that's that's one of the things that i really get off on uh uh and because of the way my brain works i actually wind up now knowing all those background parts <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and you know where the beach boys are concerned it's just like holy shit you know yeah. um um you know the, the the creativity going in going into all those vocals uh it's just just mind-boggling oh yeah. always, always has been you know they're uh, beautiful like even this i loved hearing uh all i want to do i love that song of sunflower i just think that is oh, such yeah. a great song and the acapella that was put on that fucking brilliant man i was like ah oh. you can yeah, just I mean, listen we, to try to, we try to find the things i mean you know that that that, that we like and that we think everybody everybody else will like there's always a couple of things, you know, that we miss. I would have liked to have put a acapella breakaway on there. Oh man, that would be cool. <laughs> Actually, we even proposed putting that out as a, you know, as a, you know, pre-release bonus track only, and that that just, you know, just ran into, you know, the way the record companies work these days. And you can't you can't do ghost tracks anymore. And, oh God! Uh, because streaming is now ubiquitous. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know they they don't want exclusive tracks for the you know for a while you, you did all these extra tracks for the uh download media mm -hmm. to drive sales and for whatever reason you know that's been it's been determined that 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 every all that all the products um i mean that you know the five cd and the online and the streaming all have to be exactly the same now i don't know how that fits when the vinyl isn't the same, or the PCD isn't the same. But... Though, though I will say, back in the day, I hated when I'd get a CD of an album and it'd have two bonus tracks at the end of the album. Because I was like, oh no, it's taken. I liked the album as like a story, and then there was oh. the two extra tracks. I was like, ah oh, no, man. It really annoyed me. I don't know why, but it just annoyed me. Well, it's funny. We've got people that are annoyed that we, we, we put a couple of bonus tracks on the, uh, on the LPs. Um, on one side. End. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it's like, well, first of all, if we hadn't done that, there'd be no bonus tracks on the two LP versions. <laughs> yeah. um, but I was kind of, you know, and people would even saying, "I'd rather they weren't there at all than they were." <laughs> <laughs> you'll never please everyone. Well, no, no, that's yeah. You learn that. You learn that early on, and that's why I don't. I, I do not participate in the in the message boards because it's you know wise. I mean, I'll do it in interviews. You know, ask a question about why we did this or why we did that, and I'll be happy to, you know, interview it. Let's say it for publication, but to do it on in those forums, um, it just never really works. Yeah, it's, a, it's a losing battle. It's a losing you go down battle. a rabbit hole of, of uh, you know, seventeen <laughs> other questions that have nothing to do with what you were. You know. I mean, there was one. There was one yesterday that I, I, I was tempted. I'm hoping somebody will answer. I don't know if you noticed the um, the re-record of Surf's Up Part One. Yeah, um, we've talked about this, and it says it in there. But what that is is, it, it, you know, when they were attempting to finish Surf's Up, they didn't have uh, they didn't have a vocal on Part One, the the wrecking crew part, and Brian refused to sing it. So the first thing they tried was they tried to fly Brian's vocal into that. We're using tape machines. It didn't work. 
We have the tape. Then they thought, well, okay, we'll use Brian's vocal and we'll bring the musicians back and have them play to Brian's vocal. And that's what that is. That's the Wrecking Crew trying to follow Brian's vocal and lay down track. And it's it's okay. It's not as good as the original, but it's pretty good. And then they abandoned that and just decided to have Carl sing. And then they cobbled the second half, um, you know, using using Brian's uh, uh, piano vocal version. Um, I mean, you know, it, it works great, but the, the decision-making that must have gone into how, you know, uh, how to assemble that obviously went through a bunch of changes uh, <laughs> yeah. before they figured out a way that would, that would work. Now, I, you know, I, there's a version on there. I put Brian's vocal in the first part, and it took no time at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, even the one line that, that, that was missing, I put in. Um, you know, again, just you know, because because digital, you know, DAW makes it so easy. Yeah, that is cool, man. That is cool. Well, thank you so much for this. It's been so. I probably could talk to you for hours, but I know you're busy. <laughs> and I have a million and one questions, but thank you so much. I really appreciate right. it, man. So cool. Right, good so cool. good keep, talking to you. Keep up the badass work. I'll be, I'll be <laughs> buying it, man. Have a great day. All right, you too. Bye bye. Thank you, Mark, so much. Bye bye.